I met a man He was a good man Sailing and shoring Dancing the beta can-can Making the foreign Ah, oh, yeah I Hate L.A. brought to you by the, my raspy voice of this week. I have this like winter cold thing that's going around this week in L.A., so pardon my kind of Harvey Firestein deep voice thing. Is that his name? Feinstein Firestein. Love in the age of mechanical reproduction. It's, uh, it's a chilling and, and really just thrilling novel by my guest today, Judd Trichter. He's been a child actor. We met in, in, in a casting office many years ago. Uh, he's currently writing for TV and film and working on his uh, next novel coming out. Super interesting talk today, Judd Trichter. I've been a little sick with this winter cold cough thing. So I'm here today with Judd Trichter, and I'm going to have you do most of the talking today, and I think you're up for it. Well, I'd like you to sit a little further away from me. I didn't know that you were sick. You should have warned me that. Warned me about I, that before. It's not like a Harvey Firestein or something down here. but um, I haven't gotten my flu shot yet this year. We stopped doing that after our five-year-old turned, like, two. So oh. they say to do it early on, but... Anyways, you're just the one of the guys here that, that I've just been, you've been on my list because your story and, and what you do and, and how you write and, and your, your anything everything from your Facebook posts and on. So let's just get right into it. How long have you been here in L.A.? So, yeah, I was, you know, that's a complicated question because I was out here a lot as a kid because I was a child actor, you know, so I started acting when I was like 12. Yeah. And so I was constantly flying out here. And, uh, you know, doing the acting thing and hanging out with other kid actors. From and New York. I was flying from New York. Right, I grew up in New York. I guess I got to start with that. Yeah, I grew up in New York. I lived in New York. I went to school in New York. Right. But I would fly out here for work and to hang out with the other kid actors and go to those pedophile parties and all that other stuff. And did you, you live in, like, one now. of those, like, places by, like... Uh, like the like, Oakwood yeah. or something like that? I think I may have done some time in the Oakwood, <laughs> but mostly it was, you know, it was... Uh, it was mostly hotels. Yeah. And, you know, from, from, from the high end to the low end of hotels. Yeah. We didn't, oh, what's that one near here, the, the Sportsman's Lodge? I remember being put They're there. They're tearing that down, I think. Yeah. Are they tearing that yeah. down? That's no great loss for, no. for humanity. That's fine. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so then, you know, then I went to college, and then, like, I, would, I came out here for, like, a summer, did a bunch of more TV shows, and went back to New York. Then I was in England doing something there, and shooting stuff you worked in europe for a bit and then wow and then after college so it's been like 20 years that i've been here like living here living here yeah like you know having an apartment here that yeah, kind of yeah thing. yeah and you did college where i went to yale yeah yeah so um what would we are you are you lettered did you go to college too or i went to art school you like, know, but, you know by I, the way i before let me get it out now i'm a big fan of your, your well, work you. actually and i'm not just saying that because you said a couple nice things no, I appreciate it. You got this whole David Hockney, well, yeah. Hopper vibe yeah, thing absolutely. going. And, uh, those are the two, yeah. Are those really? Pretty much. Because we've never discussed this, I don't think. Well, I try to fall in line with the California uh, painters, John Register. Well, be quiet for there. a second because I was going to praise you a little bit more. <laughs> so, um, But, you know, you're also one of these 
you're you're an art you're a, you're you're a guy with skill and uh, and chops you know and i've i've always admired keep going yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it, you know and the other thing is that your voice was very developed from a very young age uh. You know, like you were right away in your twenties, you were like a fully evolved yeah, painter. You. I you appreciate know? that. And uh, and I know you've. I mean, I don't know if, how you're doing. Oh, well, now I'm forty. Is and your I'm stuff still going doing well? It. Is it it's doing, going great. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Are people buying that stuff? Yeah. They should be. It's, it's really how great. I. Uh, if I could afford it, I would buy your, well, your stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's. I'm lucky, and it's mm -hmm. great, and. Uh, it's it's what I do every day, and I've been teaching, and I, teaching? I, teach I love painting? teaching. Do you like doing that? I love teaching. You have a passion for teaching. Gets me out of the studio, and it just gets me talking to people. And it's really how I got the idea to do this because you know I have so many fabulous um, people come to me, and a lot of them are actors who are looking like to you know kind of get more into their creative space, blah blah blah. And uh, I just started talking to a lot of people, so that kind of gave birth to this, because um, I didn't want to just talk to other painters mm -hmm. about like, oh, okay, what kind of paintbrush do you use and stuff. I wanted to kind of open up to, okay, here we are, we're all living in this town. Yeah. We're all, you know, basically chasing our dreams in some sort of creative profession. I, I disagree with you. I'm not chasing my dreams, but anyway, okay. go on. The dreams are dead. <laughs> no, it's just that I, I'm not chasing my dreams. I hate that term, but anyway, go on. So, <laughs> but you I told are. I you was going to be a really difficult thing. But you are, I mean, here you are. You're you're a published author. You're, you're uh, you know, accomplished to rave reviews. And, and so what. What are you working on now, whether it's dreamlike or not? What what can you tell us about what you do now? Well, I'm a writer. I mean, I, I you know, I, I write a lot of television stuff yeah. for money and then try and like book up some money and then go work on things that I that I want to work on, like the next novel and stuff. Right. So I, I did just finish a draft of my next novel. Oh wow. Um, which I turned in and you know, we'll start the back and forth of editing. Uh -huh. With that, but I'm actually going to take a break from that and work on a movie over the holidays and write write this horror movie that I'm that I've been wanting to write for the. I just and it's actually a pretty recent idea and I'm really excited about it, so I'm going to write that. Uh, but in the meantime, like this week, I'm working on uh, TV stuff. You know, that where I'm you know I'm a writer for hire. Wow, which is you know not um, which pays a lot more money than yeah. You know, I, I'd like to get I'd like to be as well compensated for the. For my own stuff as right. I am for the stuff for hire, oh. but that's that's sort of the trade-off of living in LA, where we kind of jump back and forth into uh, work for pay and work for passion. Or and so, what's it like going into an office space or working collaboratively with other people and like having to show up to work and stuff? Do you find that to be just really challenging compared to working on your own, or do you love the balance? You know, I get working on my working alone. You do get stir crazy after yeah. a while. I do. I'm not such an introvert that I don't go nuts right. after a while. So I do start craving the office uh, experience. And then, you know, within a few months, I'm ready to go back to working alone. And uh, yeah, and, you know, so even if I like the people that I'm working with, so it's like I've, I've had enough of that. I'm ready to go back to yeah. uh, doing my own thing. Yeah, it's kind of the best of all worlds. I mean, that's how I feel too. Like, I need to get out of the studio. I yeah. mean, or else, cause again, I'm not that kind of person either. I hope you don't mind me sharing this story, and if you do, we'll cut it out. All but, right. And, you know, we've shared some scotches at the Dime many, many years ago. Okay. But I originally 
met you, it was, I think, like 12 years ago okay. in, in Ronnie Yeskel's office. And it was my first, first, I moved down here from San Francisco, went to art school. Do I'm you have like, to explain who Ronnie Yeskel is to people who are Well, you know, if they don't the know, show? then you got to Google it. I mean, I don't okay. know. It's, I well, don't I'm a that. big fan of her, so I just... I'm a huge fan, and she's <laughs> the sweetest, and, and people in this town know her. I still get free drinks uh, due to her, and... Um, I moved from San Francisco down to LA, you know, with my little Bachelor of Fine Arts degree, and I actually was doing a lot as far as showing and selling work. But I really, I wanted to be a Hollywood producer. So, oh, I didn't know that. Well, I don't know. Uh, so I, I called her, and I had never met her before. No. Oh, I didn't know that. No, I never remember. Oh, I thought you guys were. Close. She no, she is was my late grandfather's uh, niece. Um, so I called her, and she just was so blunt. She's like, "Okay, can you come in tomorrow? <laughs> you know, basically, That's great. we're swamped. Come in tomorrow. Would love to meet you." I was like, "Oh, this is easy. This is how it's done. You know, <laughs> just gotta know somebody." Right. So I went in there, and uh, before I knew it, I was just kind of running camera. You know. Mm-hmm. And for for that well, for people who don't know, she's she was she's a major casting director. Yeah, big time. Reservoir Dogs and L.A. Law, just to name a few. Right. So, um, who I too had had a relationship with from being an actor for a long time. I think I'd probably known her forever. Yeah, somewhat. You know. So yeah, go on. You came in and did the best audition. I I worked with her for about two and a half, three years. You single handedly had the best audition I had ever seen there. Oh, thank you. And. Because you made such a remarkable choice for this oddball, screwball, improv sort of pilot thing that we were casting, which nobody even really knew what it was going to be about or how we were going to even cast it or pull it off, including the producers and the writers of it, because it was improv based. And we were looking for, I don't know, like a guy who could like just kind of improv. And you walked in there with this like, do you remember? Um, I think so. Yeah, was that the one where I was I was playing an agent, yeah. like a smarmy agent, and I, which is so topical right now. Right, right. And I think the scene was that I was supposed to speak to. I was supposed to have a meeting with my client's girlfriend or wife. Right. And I was supposed to. Um, what was I supposed to do? I was, so supposed to, I was supposed to convince her to allow him to do some risky shot right. or something like that. And, that was what I was given. And so you're kind of disheveled and like your tie is undone and, and something like that. Right. And I believe the way that I played the scene is that when she walked into the room, I thought she was the prostitute that I had hired for, yes. for, for that moment. And so I had seen probably about 100 auditions prior to that. And I was the first person that treated the other actress as a prostitute. Yes. Okay. And we all fell off our chairs. Uh-huh. You booked the part. I mean, it was. There's like, a funny story about the booking the part, well, part is that I that well, I can share with you. Yeah, here. let's share it. Well, I, you know, this was like my last. I had already decided this was my last pilot season. I was kind of done with acting okay. at that point. And the funny thing about when you're trying to quit acting is you start working more. Because <laughs> <laughs> you just all of a sudden everybody wants you, right? You know, and I I wanted out. Like I I I I hated acting by that point. But you know, it's your job as an actor to book a pilot, and that was very early in the pilot season. And I think that was like the first one that I had gone in for that season. And I had that good audition that I remember it went well. You yeah. know, people thought it was funny. They didn't throw me out of the room or anything. Yeah. And, uh, and then they called me back for the network call, which is the next step when you're 
auditioning. And the, the network call is for people who are listening who don't know. Is, it's usually between you and one or two other actors, and you go in front of all the executives and you yeah. you do the thing. It's very stressful. Um, it's like a real high stakes poker game because there's you know pilot, getting a pilot. There's a lot at stake. Yeah. And I think it was a Friday, and they had called me in to come in for the network call. And I had booked uh, another job. It was like a McDonald's commercial shooting in Denver that was going to be Thursday, Friday through, of through all weekends. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they call me up and they're like, hey, the network call is on Friday. You got to cancel that yeah. McDonald's thing. And I said, no. I said, no, I need the money. I want the money. This is just an audition. I'm not going to cancel an audition mm-hmm. for, you know when they're going to be paying me a whole bunch of money to do this McDonald's commercial. You know, there's a lot of money in a McDonald's. It's like a national commercial. Yeah. And they're like, are you out of your mind? You know, this is a television show and blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, reschedule the network call for next week. They're like, no, we can't do that. We're, you know, we're probably going to cast somebody. Your instincts were correct. Right then and there. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to Denver. Goodbye. And they said, all right, well, if we haven't cast it on Friday, we'll call you to audition next week. And I went to Denver and when I got back, they said, uh, you got the part. What kind of, what kind of like <laughs> ski slope McDonald's commercial are you are you shooting up there? Like why how how did they not film it down here? Like what I don't have know, like it, something it, up there? You know, yeah, there was some some guy on the Denver Broncos was in it oh, or something okay. like that. It was like I don't know. But you um, still got it. You played hardball and you still got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's fine. No, probably had I gone to the network hall, I wouldn't have gotten it. But, you know, as soon as you tell them that you're not interested in whatever, all of a sudden this yeah. town goes crazy. So, yeah. so yeah, so I got the part and, and did the show. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. It was a good show, yeah. So we would see each other. I used to live in the Fairfax Village area. Uh, and, and do you still live over there? Yeah, I still live there. I live... Uh, I, I love that area. I, they Me keep too. changing the name of it, like Fairfax District, what? Beverly Grove. No. Yeah, once the Grove came out, they started changing the name of it a little bit. I don't know what it's called right now, but it's a great. It, it's one of the best neighborhoods I've ever lived in. I love it over there. Yeah, there's. I a, know your show is called "I Hate LA," so I'm, I'm not probably not supposed no, to that's what, no, we're speak so it. well about my neighborhood. It's but just to get people to tune in, Judd. I love my neighborhood. I, the, if the book that I just wrote is a lot about my neighborhood. And, By far, you know, my most favorite neighborhood. I lived on Spalding and Melrose. You could walk right up to Melrose. You could walk right over to the Fairfax, and uh, it's a walking here, just enough. And then yeah. there were so many characters in the neighborhood. There's people that lived there for a hundred years. There's people that were just you know the constant influx of kind of younger people and it was busy but it was central and i don't know it's like it's gotten actually better like there's so many cool restaurants yeah it's got i mean yeah the the people have changed too a little bit it's it's a little bit of a ritzier crowd there now which which i'm not crazy about my two bedroom was 1650 uh and we were like jesus is a lot but we're not getting the yeah it doesn't have the young people like it's that you know that yeah downtown or uh, echo park or north hollywood would have now yeah. Like those people now are pretty far away, so it's 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 an older, more settled, more more baby carriages, a lot of homeless too, and then you know all those all those uh, old Hungarian Jews have died off, with the exception of this one neighbor I have who just seems to want to live forever and torments me. But other than that, then uh, most most of the old people are gone. And this old Hungarian lady has come to known as oh, you're talking about the plant lady, yeah, yeah, yeah. Plant. Is this the same person? Well, she's not Hungarian though. She's but yeah, there she she's actually not Hungarian. I actually maybe she is Hungarian. I don't know. But there yeah, I have this old horrible neighbor and named she the Planet Lady. She won't die. She won't die. She won't die. I thought she, she will died. never die. She will never so die. So we're talking about plant we're talking about like lots of potted plants. Yeah. 
obsessed with plants. Like, like, you know, just obnoxious, like barely alive. She moved into the neighborhood, I think, because remember Mortigan's Nursery, which used to be, it used to be at the end of my block. Yeah. And she used to like just hang out there and annoy everybody that worked there all day <laughs> and like fawn over these little plants and then bring them over and then put them on, you know, and just the, the plants have just been expanding off of her porch and infringing on all of the other apartments and stuff like that so that like, the whole area is sort of being taken over by her expanding garden. And there's just there's just nobody to turn to. There's just no protocol as far as like Well no, I, I at, at one point she at one point she hung a wind chime on my window. <laughs> that was just and I was like, you know, there I am. I'm like the audacity. Yeah, no, it was it was like this night that I had alone, like my my, my girlfriend and her daughter were somewhere else and I it was like I needed to get some writing done. Sure. And I, you know, <laughs> Smoked a little weed, drank a little scotch, like, you know, I was trying to get this script done and all of a sudden. And all of a sudden, like ding ding ding. ding. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm thinking I'm imagining this. Like so there's no, no that's the last straw is the wind chime. I'm going crazy, right? That's that's you know, I must be going nuts. But then the dog like perks up, so I'm like, okay, it's not just me. Me and the dog are hearing this. And we go outside and the plant cha- the plant lady's trying to hang this like two dollar wind chime by my window and I'm I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, and she's, oh, Judd, isn't this pretty? Isn't it beautiful? I, I just got it on sale at the CVS, and I was like, yeah, it's, it's great. Do you have? Why are you hanging it by my window? <laughs> oh, you know, it's like, it's, like your bedroom window. <laughs> no, it was like it was, it was like right where my desk was. Like I was like, this is where I work. This is how I make a living. Like you know, I don't really, you know, no it, chime zone here. And lady. she just kept saying, but isn't it pretty? And isn't it great? And well, I can't return it. I just bought it. I doubt that I can return it. And I'm like, I will give you the dollar ninety nine to take it off. She, well, I mean, I, I, you know, after you're asking nicely for a few minutes, and then she just said, "Well, Judd, the property line ends here, so I can hang it here, like right at the edge of my window." I, mean, I don't think that's where the property line. Yeah, no, she's got like plants, squatter, Hungarian rights. I don't know what the fuck she was talking about, but I just said, "Well, you can hang it there, plant lady, but it won't." Be there in the morning. <laughs> you know, she's dun, like, oh, dun, you would dun, cut dun. it down and blah blah blah. So you know, we had this argument about the wind chimes, which I won eventually after like ten minutes of arguing with this lunatic. And from then on, she waged this campaign to have me thrown out of the building. And she's been this this enemy of mine ever since. She started making complaints about the dog, which weren't true, and. She, at one point, I caught her trying to stick something through the window, I think, to poison the dog. Oh, no, no, she's a full-on psychopath. Um, and then she started scaring my, my girlfriend's uh, daughter, you know, who was like 10 years old and terrified of her because the woman looks like a witch. Um, so finally, what? like... What? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like... Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, like witch stuff and like the evil eye and stuff, you know, and which is terrifying to a little 10-year-old girl. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and the plant lady is hideously ugly, like missing a front tooth and and um, great legs, though. <laughs> Dude, best legs you've ever seen on an 80-year-old woman. And she wears this, like, short black skirt. I mean, the game's on this, bro. You, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, one tooth in the front of her mouth, like a mouth like a can opener, coarse gray hair, yeah. tits hanging out of her stomach. <laughs> <laughs> with a broom, like sweeps all day in front of my stoop, but the legs on it, I'm telling you, great, great legs. I don't know, you know, go figure. And um, 
anyway, things came to a head one day. I threatened to hit her with a shoe, and she called the police, and then she said I was poisoning her plants. And to make a long story short, she's not allowed to speak to me anymore, and the, the, you know, the landlord let her know that... Uh, you know, is there a, le a legitimate restraining order or something like that? I didn't get, we haven't gotten to that yet. It's not a restraining order, but she still sweeps outside my window. Yeah, methodically. While I'm working, just, just I just hear that sound exactly all the time. She bangs on the wall when I'm having sex. So the thought that this woman listens to me having sex is she horrible. waits for it. Yeah, I don't know. It's making the wind chime sound not so bad. <laughs> it's like sex is sort of ruined in my apartment because I know. But that you're not leaving. No, I have a really low rent. No. And I think I can outlive her. sticking it out. I think I can outlive her. It's looking good, but... Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, actually, a lot of my last book is about her. Um, is about her and this... I movie. was hoping for that, I swear. Yeah. Like, I'm like, okay, you... This this is the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I did. I, I have to cut it down. Apparently... Um, when I turned it in, my agent and my manager said, it's great, it's it's... But it's as long as Moby Dick. <laughs> it's 800 pages. Well, I looked it up. It was actually longer than Moby Dick. So <laughs> wow. I, I have to cut it down significantly, and that's going to take a while. Um, it turns out I had a lot more to say about the plant lady than I ever would have realized when I began this project. Wow. Um, but it's also it's about the whole neighborhood and about L.A. and about Yeah. I'm and, so excited. Uh, and about the Hungarian community in the neighborhood and... Um, you know, a lot of them were, were people that were saved by Raoul Wallenberg. So a lot of it goes. A lot of the book went back to Hungary and stuff like that. And I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Raoul Wallenberg was this uh, Swedish diplomat who saved thousands and thousands of Jews in wow. uh, Budapest during World War II. And I had another neighbor who was actually his secretary. So she actually was, you know, gave him lists and lists of Jews to to save. And he was eventually killed by Stalin after the war. But there, there's a statue of Wallenberg on Fairfax, and uh, I, I don't know how many people in that community that really built that community were people that he had saved. He was like the Swedish Schindler, you know. Wow. And it's, it's a whole, a whole I, thing about L.A. that people don't realize. I'd like never little, do that. No, yeah. I will go look that up. Yeah, it, there's a statue of him. All these bums sleep by it over by uh, Fairfax and um, Beverly. Like the, in front of this bank. In front of the bank. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah you know, there's just, just stinks of urine and defecation over there. Yeah. yeah. But uh, are they knocking down CBS or are they keeping it there? I'm I'm hearing it's coming down at some point. Wow. It's or there's some negotiation or something. I don't know what's going on. So how do you feel knowing the history of the neighborhood? How do you feel about all the you know the bakeries and stuff? Kind of well, they've rapidly sort of gone away in the last. Well, there's still a few left. Schwartz's is still there. Right? Yeah, there of course, still... Canners is the anchor, which sort of you know obviously is. You ever have the Ruggle in there? I mean, you know, it's for me. I have such a soft spot for Canners in the kibitz mm -hmm. room, but it's it's you know it's sort of the cultural appropriation of of Jewish. Uh, what do, you, what do you mean? Who's who's appropriating what? You're well, it's not like a, appropriating. It's not. It, it's it's so real. It's so real as far as like a deli, a delicatessen is concerned. But the the very authentic, like uh, you know, more orthodox places right. seem to to vanish. Yeah. Which, well, I, I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's still a pretty big orthodox community there, yeah. and there's still you know, still a lot of Jews there, man. Good. Lots of Jews here. And um, they, they're still going to those bakeries and stuff like that. So those bakeries are still alive. I, I, I don't know what the, how much longer they're going to last. Certainly that, 
Street that Eric. feel of that neighborhood is is going and and you know my favorite bar closed like a year or two ago and was replaced by some trendy chicken and waffle place. Which one? Uh, it was Rosewood Tavern, which was oh, up yeah, the street from. Yeah, it's gone. So, um, but they, but you know, new bars open and they're pretty cool. That just the prices keep going up. You yeah. know, everything's getting more expensive. Yeah. Um, so I have to just kind of work a little harder in order to support my drinking. That's all. That's <laughs> yeah. the cheap rent. I just gotta yeah, I gotta do a little more TV. It evens and out. A few little little fewer uh, pro, prose projects, I guess. So I'm excited to hear about the new novel. Your 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 previous novel, which is available for purchase, "Love in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction." Yeah. I mean, it has a lot of LA in it, mm-hmm. and could could you just talk about? Um, so, "Love in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction" is a science fiction novel that came out in uh, 2015, and it's it's about a guy who falls in love with an android that gets kidnapped, chopped up, and sold for parts. Mm-hmm. So he has to go around hunting down her parts so he can put her back together again. Um, actually, you know Errol Morris? He called it a Humpty Dumpty love story when, when, when he saw it, So when he read it or whatever. I would love that. <laughs> um, I would take that. Uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'll take that from Errol Morris. Um, and actually, I just, yeah, we just optioned the uh, film right, so maybe it'll be a movie soon, too. Wow. So that's, that's, all, that's all well and good. And, uh, yeah, a lot of it takes place in this sort of dystopian future in which just before the uh, androids take over the world, I guess. Which seems like it's going to be happening soon. Like, they say by, like, 2030, the whole world is going to be automated and there's going to be, like, 800 million jobs lost and there's going to be, like, 8 billion people in the world and there's just it's just going to be robots. I mean, the government's going to have to just start paying people just to kind of, like, sit around and not go crazy. Well, yeah, well, I'm interested in how we're all interacting more with machines now than we are with humans. And even when we do interact with humans, it's through the screen of a machine. Yeah. You know, I love that, that picture of Hillary Clinton and everyone's got her back to her yeah, yeah, as yeah. they're taking, taking selfies selfie. with her. It's so classic. It's like no one, no one appreciates like the, or at least this younger generation, they don't appreciate the the real experience, sure. the present moment. They everything is through this time warp, yeah, and this screen warp of experiencing the world through yeah, computers. Yeah, I went to an art show last night, and I don't get out too often now because I live in the valley and. You know, we have the five-year-old, and I just, I, I mean, honestly, I just like to stay home, but I really wanted to go to this art show, and I took Drew, our five-year-old, <laughs> and it was fun, but I had to, like, insta-story it, because I had to prove to myself that I was there. I didn't do it for anybody else, I just did it for myself. And that's fine. That's cool, mm-hmm. and I'm glad I did it, and I'm glad I went, but it's like, I caught myself doing that, which I always catch myself doing that, and I was like, why did I just do that? It was weird. Right. But, I don't know. I, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily condemning it. I'm, I, I think this is just the way that it... Yeah. This, this is what's happening. Like, like this is have, the way it's going. It's like adapt or die, you know, right? So so I, this this is how the future is going. There are all kinds of implications for it. I mean, I go on... Um, I'm single again, so I've been going on, like, online dates. Yeah. And... Uh, That's big. Well, you meet, you're, you're meeting these people through... First, you meet them as an avatar, right? And, it, you know, at what point... In the date, does the person actually become a human as opposed to something you can just swipe left or right on? I mean, this is a person usually that you have no connection to no. other than that you saw her on your your cell phone. There's no, you know, we have no friends in common. We don't work together. We don't, we don't have uh, 
mishpucha. You know, we don't like this right. isn't. Yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't introduced to this woman through family or whatever. And you have to remind yourself, like I have to treat you as another human being. You are another human being, and you don't always get that back. You know, sometimes you see them sneaking a look at the phone on the date because I tend to ramble. And you know, I, I at, you hope that at some point in the dating ritual, you both become humans to each other. You're not just a person that you met online that you can dispose of quickly and find another one of. But when does that happen? At what point? Uh, does it ever happen now that that's in the culture? Even maybe after marriage, there's still this idea, oh, I can always just swipe and find another. Sure. Are you really with another person or are you with... Are you, it's are the swipification of just there's there seems to be options this is the the movie that i'm really excited about that i'm writing right now this is this is you know really kind of hones in on this it's about a a woman who gets impregnated by the internet and so i'm i'm really like fascinated with this idea about when artificial intelligence is going to breach the human machine divide and start putting itself in our world as these corporeal material objects either through 3d printing or through a woman's wound, womb through genetically engineered sperm. Wow. So that's kind of, that's, that's, I'm trying to make this like horror movie about that now. And it replaces God a little bit because God has always been like this incorporeal sort of sense of spirit and we can't see it or anything. And then to talk about... Well, it replaces men first, <laughs> which a lot of women I think would be very happy to do sure. at this point, you know, just replace us with, sure. with sex toys and the internet. But... Um, but so it, yeah, it replaces men, and yeah, and maybe it's maybe it's God as the machine. Like maybe we've we've built God. You know, maybe maybe we finally maybe the 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 goal of mankind was to recreate God on Earth and in the universe, and we we can create this machine God. That's what we that was our purpose. That was what we were put here to do. Can't wait. Is that deep or is I that? I mean, super um, deep. You know, is that weird? Yeah, no, I'm trying to wrap my mind. Does that go along it. with the L.A. is miserable place kind of thing? Yeah, the, the I hate 100%. L.A. thing. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> You ever My, think about going anywhere else? You ever think about... Every day. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I get the fuck out of here. Yeah. But I don't know where to go. Me neither. And then when you go somewhere, it's like, eh, these people are kind of hokey. And, or <laughs> there's, you know, it's it's like... I, I go somewhere and I, it's great to get out of my routine. And then sure. you're like, oh, but my routine was so good. Yeah. yeah it's such a good routine in it LA. It's 78 I, degrees today. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. We think about as a family uprooting and, and getting out of the grind. Are you worried about raising kids here that they're going to have weird LA values? <sighs> no, I'm really not. I'm really mm -hmm. not. Because you didn't about... have LA. You didn't come up with weird LA well, values. Well, no, I'm not. I, I like it. I like the diversity of my daughter's school. Okay. Um, I'd be terrified of raising shallow children here. Yeah. I guess it could happen anywhere, but... Well, I like exposing... I think L.A. is a great place for children because there's a lot of outdoor stuff to do. You could expose them to as much as you want as far as the arts and culture and food and all that is concerned. And the diversity is great, uh, all different kinds of people. And we live in the valley, so it feels very suburban, mm -hmm. which, and it feels safe, and it feels just chill. <coughs> so... When I, when I worry about L.A., like my gripe with L.A. is yeah. that I worry that it attracts too many people come here for like the wrong reasons. Yeah. They don't come here to, you know, to do good, to right. change the world. To, like they come here to get famous. Right. So it, it tends to attract probably on average more shallow people right. than anywhere else. Everybody is working hard. 
but possibly not for the best reasons. Right. I mean, people do come desperate or people do come inspired, but it all, it's competitive. Yeah, and, and ultimately fame and, and value or the, uh, fame and money are the two things that are, that are valued above all else here. You know, I, sure. I could turn in something great to my agent and manager who I love and they're, they're fantastic. But at the end of the day, if it you know they'd rather it was a friggin' superhero movie yeah. than, any, than any of the shit that I'm talking about now. Yeah. So they're like, "Oh, great, yeah, all right, we'll have to work hard and try and sell this and not make a lot of money at it." Versus, you know, nowadays it's got to be crazy with that. That's all it is, right? Well, I mean, there's so the <clears throat> the different avenues for content for you as a writer now must be exciting. Is it helping you as a writer, or is it a well, I mean, yeah, yes and no. I mean, oh, the internet stuff is great. I mean, that's, I got started by writing on the internet. I mm -hmm. wrote these short stories called Filth and uh, this short story column, and that was kind of how I got people started noticing my work. So that was great. It was a, it was an entrance that without a gatekeeper. So that's fantastic, you know? There was no editor or whatever who was like, no, you can't put yourself up right. online. You just put yourself that's up online. That's completely changed the art world, by the way. For the better or the worse? Uh, both. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fabulous for the emerging. You know, right. it's just the internet is phenomenal. And Instagram is basically a, a platform to just show images. So I used to just have to go to the bookstore and flip through every art magazine. Now you just... You can browse online, yeah. So, and it, it has exposed an entire world uh, to all the unbelievable art that's out there. You know, people were fairly uneducated uh, of really what art even was and mm -hmm. various sort of factors and so now people are highly educated if they oh, that's good um it is good i'm gonna say it's mostly a good thing it has the thing that and i've talked about this on previous podcasts the thing that is tricky right now because the whole world is sort of elevated as, as far as they're conscious of what art could be and what it is and everybody's more educated but everybody hates retail mm -hmm. <laughs> for some reason everybody hates shopping at a store and it's it's ultimately weird. someone's got to get off their ass and go to a it's retail weird. establishment to buy your painting everybody has to eventually go to a brick and mortar establishment and, buy, and purchase something that isn't a restaurant mm. and um it's weird are people ordering your stuff online though predominantly and they've never seen it in predominantly uh-huh yeah what's your relationship with like the new york art world and stuff like that how come you didn't? i don't have any yeah right. I, I i've been lucky enough to have been Developed as a California impressionist and, mm -hmm. and then a California contemporary abstract and and representational painter, mostly of L.A. and the Bay Area. And I've been lucky enough to sort of fall into the a very nice tradition of those types of. And artists. L.A.'s got a lot of credibility now in the it art does. world. It does. A lot of people and a lot of people have moved here because here. you could get space here, and the collectors are here, and the international market is here, and mm -hmm. the galleries are here now, and. And there's so many different little hot spots, and so, so it's cool. New York, um, I've never been embraced by the New York art world. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's not that it's passe or at all. I mean, there's still people that do really well out there. I would love to show there one day, but it just hasn't happened. I've just, I've done done well in the Bay Area and down here. So, I just kind of have to stick with it. I don't, I don't know. Maybe one day in New York would be, for more of my abstract work, would be great, <coughs> but. Yeah, I love New York, and obviously have roots there. And, and you like the LA art scene. You're you 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 have other artists. For, you like hang out with a bunch of painters and not anymore. Have like, I used like really to. pretentious conversations and like no. 
you know, you and, think. and get really drunk and Smoke throw cigarettes, throw yeah. ice cubes at each other and stuff. No, sorry, excuse me. That's no, <clears throat> I wish I used to. Um, I I've made it a goal to get back into it a little bit more. I, you know, I was so involved in the San Francisco scene, so involved for mm-hmm. so many years, and I was so immersed, and I knew everybody, and it was so small, and it was just sort of spoon-fed. You could hold it in your hand, and everybody knew everybody, and it was really supportive. And in the late 90s, it was such a great time for so many different genres of art and we all kind of came together street art and more traditional art and it was just alive and it was the best time ever Mm -hmm. and even through the crazy dot com thing the first round of that we all kind of survived and kept our studios and kept our apartments and and it actually made our world even stronger because everybody was buying art and um it was just fabulous and then i i just thought i'm gonna move to la and just like blow it up even more and of course get involved in entertainment and all this other stuff so it's been a rocky road a lot of ups lots of downs it's a microcosm the art world here as just for the whole city it's fractured it's majorly spread out there's five or six different epicenters of it there's so many different kinds of people most people are kind of weird and fake some people are super authentic money could get you into galleries and get you into collections and get you in front of people uh, there's a lot of pay to play in this town there's a lot of like bullshit and yeah. then there's a lot of really extraordinary awesome really diverse artists too you know um, Mexican American art and and yeah you know, just everything here that that I'm a fan of so it's hard to wrap your head around sometimes sometimes I'm just so exhausted by it that I'm like <sighs> You know, there's so. Hey, are you still? I mean, do you still wake up really like excited to paint and excited? To- that fluctuates. Lately, mm-hmm. yes. Lately, I've been on a tear. I've gotten the opportunity to get into a couple new galleries, and and sales have been going well. And so lately, and what do you do when it's not there? It's hard. Do you still? You still do it. You still paint even when it's not there. When the desire to like. Yeah, teaching keeps me mm-hmm. in in a weekly practice. Right. Because I have to show up and teach my classes every week, and I have to get out my paints every week, and I have to paint every week, and <clears throat> for that reason only, it keeps me on a day on a on a weekly routine. And I'm routine oriented. I think you have to be as a creative person. Oh yeah, definitely. I do have a Monday through Friday routine, and it works. Mm-hmm. You know, it like you know. Th- Thursday is my day to paint, and and Friday I have you know I usually just do something art related, but not necessarily paint, and so on and so forth. And earlier in the week I teach, and it's nice, you know. It's um, <coughs> everything I do is art related, though. Every mm-hmm. picture I take, every book I read, every you know everything I do is just sort of focused around my career. It's totally immersive as I'm sure it is for you. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, look, I, I like to write, I like to work, um, which isn't to say that there's, isn't some drudgery part of everything that I do. Yeah, there is. And you got to just knuckle through that in order to get to the fun part where you're you're like, okay, this is coming together and (laughs) this is going to work. This isn't going to be something that I'm going to throw away. Um, and that is hard, and you know I tear my hair out and all that stuff. God, I know some writers that are just easy with it. That are just, oh yeah, it's fun. It's I never really struggle. It's just, uh, uh, they're not working hard. Screw enough. them. Yeah, yeah, they suck. Anyway, but uh, what were we saying? Oh yeah, I mean yeah. So just the routine aspect of it. Oh, is everything that I do about writing? Well, I you know it's like sometimes people were like, hey, do you want to go on a hike today? And 
Honestly, the answer is I'd rather stay home and write. You know, I mean, uh, there's just so many things that, that I don't do because I'd rather stay home and write. That, to me, is more interesting. Trying to figure out what I'm thinking on the page is what I like to do. So There's a satisfaction that comes from it that is kind of unparalleled. I it's mean, what I like to do, and I'm not too tied into the results anymore. I'm yeah. not, I'm not um, obsessed with that. Uh, if, if I can find a way to keep doing what I like to do, then I'm pretty happy wherever I am. Um, now, when I'm writing some of these like television shows that I don't particularly like to write, um, I, I get pretty depressed and anxious and can't wait to get it done yeah. and then I end up blowing a lot of the money sometimes, you know, like while I'm working. Sure. Um, because it's just, ugh. So... So that to me is the down part. And often, as soon as I finish that, I'm exhausted and depressed for like three days when I finish an episode. So, um, yeah, you know, that, that to me is sort of the down part. But then I get to go back to working on what I want to work on, and I'm, I'm pretty, pretty happy. Tell everybody one more time where to find your book. Love in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction by Judd Trichter. That's me. And you can, I guess you can order it on Amazon and... Uh, Buy it at your local brick-and-mortar bookstore, yeah. if one still exists, if there is still a, a brick-and-mortar bookstore near you. And we'll be anxiously looking for your next project out there. we got to keep in touch. I, gotta, I, I'm, I would love to come over and you know, meet, the meet, meet the five-year-old yeah, I mean, and everything. Yeah. You know? Come on. Yeah, yeah, I'll show you the studio and, and meet the kid, and you could have some interesting conversations with her, that's for sure. Oh, fantastic. I look forward to that. Right. Is that it? Are we done? Yeah, thanks, Fantastic. Man. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. 